far are our only hope, Lord. And so we look to you for all our needs. We look for, to you for our salvation, for our hope for the future, Lord. We look to you for the very bread and water that we drink and eat. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given to us. Lord, I pray right now for Brady as he comes and brings your message. Open our hearts and our ears that we may hear from you today, Lord. And uh, I pray this often because I think I really, really hope this is what will happen, Lord, that as we experience you here today, we will leave different than we came because we have experienced your Holy Spirit working through and in us. Oh, Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Verses 5 through 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 14, as we continue our series in the book of Colossians. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to celebrate Trunk or Treat that happened last Tuesday night. I have a picture here of Trunk or Treat, and we had um, almost 50 trunks. And I want to say thank you to all who volunteered, and we had nearly a thousand kids come by and get candy. Thank you so much. Yeah, celebrate that. Yeah, that's awesome. And here's why this matters, is because we are being the hands and feet of Jesus, showing the love of Jesus to Manchester and to Coffee County. That's an incredible thing. And so I'm so thank you, so thankful for all who showed up. And I want you to know, this year was cold. So y'all start praying right now for warmer weather next trunk or treat, all right? Second thing I want to tell you is that this morning we have a group headed to Paris, France. I have a picture of them as well. And they are, Jake is leading a team to Paris um, to go work with our missionary partners there in Paris. And they are leaving this morning. And so I want to tell you, it is an incredible thing to be a part of a church who wants to see the nations come to know Christ. Amen? And so keep them in prayer this week as they travel and they minister there in France. As you're finding Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 14, I want to show you a few things that you may have not thought about in a while. A few clothing trends that were from the last 70 years. Yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a little ahead of ourselves, but there we go. The first one is bell bottoms. Do y'all remember bell bottoms? You can show, show those. All right, I have a real quick question. How many of you ever owned bell bottoms in here? All right. That's quite a bit. All right. All right. So the next one is poodle skirts. Do y'all remember poodle skirts? How many in here ever owned a poodle skirt? All right, no men, raise your hands. All right, there we go. How about leisure suits? Do y'all remember leisure suits? All right, we're going to fast forward a little bit to another type of suit that became popular in the 90s called the wind suit. Y'all remember the wind suit? I'm pretty sure every kid had this exact windsuit. <laughs> and then one of the things I never understood, but kind of was popular for a short time in the 90s, do y'all remember Tabasco ties? They were the hot thing. <laughs> that was rough, I know. And then there was this trend in the late 90s that I never understood, and it was Jinko jeans. 
They were big enough that you could carry a second person in that pair of pants, right? And so these trends, I'm glad some of them have come and gone. Amen. It's come and go. And sometimes, oddly enough, they come around again. And this morning, I want you to know that as a pastor, sometimes I'm asked, does God care what Christians wear? And I love when I get that question. Because I always say something like this. God tells us that we're to dress modestly and we're not to cause people to stumble. But God is far less concerned with what we're wearing physically than what we're wearing spiritually. You see, he's not so concerned about how we're dressed physically with our clothes, whether we wear bell-bottoms, poodle skirts, leisure suits, Tabasco ties, or windsuits. But he's far more concerned this morning with how you are dressed spiritually. And I want you to know as your pastor, I want to be crystal clear on this. We will always be a church where everyone is welcome, whether you're comfortable in a suit, whether you're comfortable in jeans, shorts, button-ups, polos, or a western shirt like Todd. Whether you wear sweaters or dresses, skirts or pants, and we aren't going to look down on anyone because of what they wear. Amen? Even if it is an Alabama shirt. But here's the thing. God may not be so concerned with what we're wearing on the outside, but here's what I want you to know this morning. God is incredibly concerned with how we are dressed spiritually. And that's exactly what Paul is going to talk about in Colossians chapter 3. He is going to address a problem in their lives. He says they're not dressed appropriately spiritually. Their lives don't match up to their new identity in Christ, and they need a clothing change. So here's our big idea. Our big idea is this. God is calling you to intentionally... Live out your new identity in Christ by putting off your old self and putting on the character of Christ. And we're going to explore this idea in Colossians chapter 3, where Paul is going to tell us three things you need to dress for spiritual success. Three things you need to dress for spiritual success. First, you must put off your old spiritual clothes. That's verses 5 through 9. Let's look at verse 5 together. Paul says, Therefore, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. This word therefore is referencing and connecting the previous section where Paul has told us that we have been raised with Christ, spiritually raised with Christ, that we now have a heavenly citizenship. And he says, if you have a heavenly citizenship, if you have spiritually been raised, then why are you living with your old earthly nature why do you live as if you only have an earthly citizenship when you have a heavenly one? Therefore, we're to put to death what belongs to our earthly nature. And then Paul is going to list some of those old clothes or sins, those things we used to wear before we came to know Christ that you might still struggle with. And he's going to say we need to put those things off. And I just want to make a side note real quick. As we look at the sins that he lists, I want you to know that we will always be a church that talks about sin. You see, talking about sin is so important. We can't shy away from it. There are places and churches who say, well, we just don't talk about sin. We want to be positive. 
But, he, but here's the problem. Number one, the Bible talks about sin quite a bit. So we must preach the Bible. But two, have you ever heard the phrase, we don't want to be a museum of saints, but a hospital for sinners? Have you heard that phrase before? Well, here's the key. We want to be a good hospital where people who are sinners and are sick come to the hospital but we want something to happen when they're at the hospital. We want people to get better. And can you imagine a hospital that said, well, we just want to be positive, and so we're never going to talk about their disease or their problems or their treatment. You see, in a hospital, people get better because you do see the problems and you treat them. And that's what the Bible does. It sees the problems and it treats them. And so we will always be a church that talks about sin, and we will talk about it in the way the Bible talks about sin. And what's the Bible saying here? We've got to put off sin. And Paul's going to list three categories of sin. He says, we need to put off the sins of the body. That, those, are, those are the first category, the sins of the body. He lists them, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. So he says, put off the sins of the body. There was a feminist slogan that was developed in the late 60s that simply said, my body, my choice. My body, my choice. And this was to promote a feminist agenda towards sexual autonomy here's what I want us to know that's very clear about what God is saying about our bodies. That when we come to know Christ, we become His, and therefore now our bodies are not just our own, and so it's not just my body, my choice. When we come to know Christ, our bodies are His, and therefore our bodies belong to Him, and if we are followers of Jesus, and He is our Lord, He gets to tell us how we use our bodies. Amen? So you see, he says, put to death these things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, all of these things, these sins of the body, he gets to tell us how to live. The second category he gives in this list are sins of the mind. He says, but now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, and malice. Well, think about anger this way. You're driving down the road and someone cuts you off. Maybe you get angry, right? Wrath is the next level of that, where you just get to the just boiling point, angry, mad. And then malice is when you start imagining something bad happening to that person and wanting it to happen, right? It escalates. And Paul is saying, you've got to put off these sins of the mind. Those are things about how people who have earthly nature act and think. But you're, but you're now a heavenly person, and you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't think those ways. So put off anger and put off wrath and put, put off malice. And then he continues with listing sins of the tongue. So he's done the body the mind and the tongue. He says we should put off slander, filthy language, and not to lie to one another. You've heard the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Boy, we know that's not true, don't we? We know words are powerful. Words can do a lot of damage and cause incredible pain. But Christians are to use our words differently. We're to not slander. We're not to run people down with half-truths. We're not to use filthy language. We're not to lie. Here's the picture that Paul is painting here. He's, imagine the man who becomes a Christian, and his life begins to change. 
But every day when he goes back to work, he goes back to the people he's always worked with. And at his workplace, the language is not appropriate. The jokes aren't appropriate. The words they use aren't appropriate. And when he falls back in with that crowd, his language begins to go back to the way it was before he came to know Christ. He's using the language that they're using. He's telling the jokes that they're telling. He's laughing at the things they're laughing at, even though he knows it's not appropriate. And what Paul is saying is, listen, because you have been made new, because you have been raised with Christ, you aren't to put back on the old clothes. You're to change. You're to put those things off. That's who you used to be. Brothers and sisters, we need to put off those old things. We're to put off the sins of the body, sins of the mind, sins of the tongue. We're to put those things off. To all the wives in the room, do any of your husbands ever have an old shirt that needs to be thrown away, but he doesn't want to throw it away? You, know, you just love that shirt. You know you need to get rid of it, but it kind of smells, but it's your favorite shirt. What Paul is telling the Colossians is they have some behaviors in their life that need to be getting rid of. It needs to be thrown away. It's time to let it go. And these sins of the body, sins of the mind, sins of the tongue, you need to let them go. He even says you need to put them to death. And I want to talk a moment about dealing with sin. I want you to know that it is a lot easier to deal with sin when it's in seed form before it takes root and grows in your life. Let me ask you this. What's easier to get rid of if you have in your backyard? What's easier to get rid of? An acorn, an acorn, or an oak tree? What's easier to get rid of? The seed or the thing fully bloomed? See, often we will let sin grow in our lives. I mean, it's just, it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit of sin. A little bit of lust, a little bit of filthy language, a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And we let it grow in our lives. And then o over time, they, you wake up and you go, wait a second, I have so many oak trees in my backyard, I don't know how I'm ever going to get rid of them. Because sin has taken root and it's grown in our lives. But here's what I want you to know, that when sin comes in seed form, put it to death that it doesn't take root in your life. That's what Paul is saying here. Put to death the sins of the body, the sins of the mind, sins of the tongue before they take root in your life. That's the first step. If you want to dress for spiritual success, you've got to get all of those old clothes off. That's number one. Number two, you have to remember who you are in Christ. You have to remember who you are in Christ. Remember the principle we learned last week that God's imperatives, his commands, are rooted in his indicatives, what he's done. In other words, the gospel isn't, I obey, therefore I'm loved. The gospel is, I am loved, therefore I obey. You see the difference? And so Paul is saying to them, I want you to live, I want you to obey these commands, but, but I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember who you are, and because of who you are, you are to obey. So he gives us three things. To remind us of who we are first he says you are being made new look at verse 10 you are being made new he says since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self you are being renewed in knowledge 
according to the image of your creator. This is an important point. This is what theologians call sanctification. All right? Sanctification. The term justification is the term about how when we believe in Jesus, the very first moment we believe in Jesus, we are declared to be right with God. We are adopted into his family, and we are secure for all of our life in him. That's justification. But there's a process that begins from the moment you believe until the day you die, and that process is called sanctification. Sanctification simply is the ongoing process by which the Holy Spirit makes you more like Jesus. The ongoing process from the moment you believe that makes you more like Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, you've put off the old self and you're being renewed. You're being made more like Jesus. And because God's at work in you, making you more like Jesus, why then are you living with the old clothes? God's got a project. He's trying to make you new. And it's as if God's trying to put new clothes on you and you keep trying to get the old clothes back. You keep going back to them. He's like, no, I've got something so much better for you. Oh, and I want the old stinky shirt, right? And so he says, you are new. The second thing he says is, you are a member of Christ's team. You're a member of Christ's team. Look at verse 11. It says, in Christ, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is reminding them of their former identities. Some of you were Greek, some of you were Jews, some of you were circumcised, some of you weren't. Some of you were barbarians, some of you were Scythians, some of you were slaves, some of you are free, but now things have changed. And now we're all part of Christ's team. Here's what I mean. Here's why this matters so much. In high school, often you get a letterman jacket. You get a letterman jacket. And that letterman jacket tells of your accomplishments on your shoulders and different things. And you wear that letterman jacket proudly around high school. But then, let's imagine a group of men and women who go to college. And when they're at college, they are with people from different high schools. Some of them even rival high schools that they once wore different letterman jackets and they opposed one another. It's like if, you know, Coffee County playing Tele Telahoma or something like that. They had different jackets, different rivalries. But now they're at college. Do you know what typically happens? You don't typically see a bunch of people wearing their letterman jackets in college. Do you know what they typically do? They take off their letterman jacket, they put it away, and do you know what they all put on? UT orange. <laughs> or crimson, Daniel. Why? Because they now have an identity that actually trumps their former identity. They were once rivals, they were once a part of different schools, but now they are a part of a new team. They're a part of something else, and now they wear the clothes of the new thing. That's what Paul is saying here to the Colossians. Some of you were Greek, some of you were Jews, some of you were circumcised, some of you weren't, some of you were barbarians, Scythians, slaves, free. You all had different letterman jackets, but now that you are in Christ, you are to wear something new. You are to wear the clothes of Christ because you have a new team that trumps your old identity. 
And so this morning, he's saying, you need to wear different clothes because you have a new status as part of Christ's team. And then he says, thirdly, you have a, your third part of your identity is you are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Three things, chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Well, these are all terms that were intentional by Paul because they were terms that described God's relationship with Israel. Very intentional. What he's saying to you this morning, hear me, child of God. You are chosen by God as much as Abraham was chosen by God. Abraham was chosen by God and his descendants. God has chosen you. He has set his love upon you. You're holy. You're set apart. Just as Israel was set apart as a special people, you have been set apart by God for a purpose. And you're dearly loved. You are dearly loved by God. This morning, if you have walked in, child of God, and you have been struggling because it feels like no one loves you, hear me this morning. You are dearly loved by God. You are loved as much as Abraham. You are loved as much as God loved Moses. You, you are loved as much as God loved David as he faced Goliath. You are loved like God loved Daniel as he was in the lion's den. You are loved by God like he loved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when he showed up in the fiery furnace. You are dearly loved by God. That's good news, isn't it? And so this morning, what Paul is doing is he is saying, listen, do you know your identity? Do you know your identity this morning? Are you, are you clear on your identity? That you are being made new by God. You're being sanctified. That you have been made a part of Christ's team. And that you're dearly loved by God. Chosen and holy. If so, he says, then you should put off the old clothes. Because you have a new identity. And then lastly, and the most importantly, he says, number three. If you want to dress for spiritual success, you've got to put on new spiritual clothes. You've got to take them off, remember who you are, and then put on new spiritual clothes. Because we are followers of Jesus, we're called to dress like him. Not wearing robes and sandals, but by putting on his character. And this word put on here is very important. Look at, look at the verse there in verse 12. It says put on. This is an active command. Now sometimes we think of the Christian life and growth in Christ as passive. We think of letting go and letting God. But that doesn't paint the full picture. We are called to work out what God is working within. We are called to put effort into our Christian growth. It doesn't just happen naturally. We have to put effort into it. Here's how Dallas Willard put it. I think this is really helpful. He says, Dallas Willard says, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Think about that for a moment. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. You see, we say, I've been saved by the sheer grace of God. Todd led us. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. 
But that doesn't lead us to go, well, then I can do whatever I want. What does it do? It leads us to put effort into becoming the people that God wants us to be. That doesn't mean that we're not saved by grace. We are. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We know that us striving after the Lord is not earning us a place in heaven, but because we've already been given a place in heaven, we want to become the people he's made us to be and that he saved us to be. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And so here's what I want you to know. There are many people There are many people who are not at the place they should be spiritually in their lives because they have not put any effort into growing spiritually. And without effort, we won't grow. And so I want to encourage you this morning, we must put effort into this. We don't naturally drift into godliness. And so Paul's going to give the Colossians in us seven things this morning, seven aspects, seven clothes that we're to put on if we want to dress for spiritual success seven things number one he says we should put on compassion look at there verse 12 he says put on compassion that's number one compassion well compassion is the ability to feel deep sympathy and concern for others especially in times of suffering or distress I can't think of a word that better describes Jesus full of compassion You remember when the man who had leprosy came up to Jesus? You remember leprosy, skin disease? That was when they originally started social distancing, right? But he runs up to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't turn him away. And the Bible says that Jesus was full of compassion, and he healed him. This morning, I want you to know that we are called to put on compassion every day. That's what we're called to do. So this morning, I want you to know there's ways you can show compassion. We have things like our Operation Christmas Child. We have things like our Angel Tree where you can take a family and provide for them. We have our Christmas Food Box Ministry. But we are to put on compassion. So this morning, how are you doing with compassion? If you're analyzing yourself, how are you doing on compassion? Well, number two, we're to put on kindness. We're to put on kindness. Similar to compassion, it's an attitude that seeks to be considerate and helpful to others. Mark Twain says that kindness is the language, kindness is the language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness. Throughout Jesus' interaction with sinners, he modeled kindness, even to people that society often overlooked. Tax collectors, the poor, sick, sinners, those trapped in sin, he, he was kind to them. So hear me on this. In a world so filled with a hate, in a world so filled with hate, we need more of Jesus' kindness, Amen. We are to put on kindness every day because Jesus has been so kind to us. How are you doing with kindness? Number three, we are to put on humility. Humility is counting others more significant than yourself. It's an intentional act of getting low. When I think about humility, I think about limbo. Do y'all remember people playing limbo? Like how low can you go? Y'all remember that? 
and people would do it at the skating rink, right? And you kind of get under the bar. And I'm thinking like, being short, I've got a natural advantage at this game, right? The problem is, you would think so, but the people who are actually good at limbo are the tall, skinny people who are able to like bend and contort their bodies, right? That's who's good at limbo. But that's what, that's what we are called to do. We are called to get low before others that we can be humble and serve them. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. And we're to put on the character of Jesus and we're to dress like him. Who is Jesus? But the most humble person who ever lived. Think about this. On the night before he was to be crucified, what did he do? He took a bowl and a towel and he got down on the dirty floor and he washed the disciples' feet. The one who had created their DNA, the one who deserved their worship and praise was down beneath them and had gotten as low as you could go and he was washing the disciples feet but that wasn't nearly as low as he would go the next day because the next day the lord of the universe would go to the cross of calvary where he would be nailed to the tree where he would be spat upon mocked and placed a crown of thorn upon his head and he went as low as we thought anyone could go but that's not as low as he went because you see that day on Good Friday he breathed his last breath and he went as low as you could go that the God of life had experienced death and he went into the grave how low can you go he went to the grave that you and I might be born again that is humility and we are called to put on that same humility. We are to clothe ourselves in that type of humility. So that's number three. We're to clothe ourselves in humility. Fourth, we're to clothe ourselves in gentleness. In gentleness. Now, when I say that word gentleness, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. Often people think of gentleness as weakness or being taken advantage of. But that's not the biblical idea of gentleness. I have a quote by Chuck Swindoll that I think helps us understand gentleness. Here's what, here's what Chuck Swindoll says about gentleness. He says, in our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless. Not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities, catch this, this is so, so amazing, as having strength under control. Strength under control, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise beside themselves, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity. This command to put on gentleness is given to both men and women but I wanted to talk to the men in the room real quick fathers, grandfathers do you have this type of gentleness in your life strength under control that when you are in a room that's even heated that the room's temperature comes down because you are gentle I just want to encourage you this is how the Lord is with us. 
And therefore, we are to be this with others. Men, our world could use more men in it who have strength, but it's under control. And it's used to bring a calm and peaceful presence, even in a heated atmosphere. Our world is filled with people, and our temperature is hot in our culture. We need more men who know how to have strength under control. And so he calls us to put on gentleness. That's number four. Then number five, I have to confess to you, is one I struggle with. He calls us to put on patience. He calls us to put on patience. I keep thinking I'm going to get better at patience, but I can't wait for it to happen. And jokes are terrible today. But I think patience is difficult for modern people because we're so used to everything being microwaved. You can get about anything in the world from Amazon in two days or less. We are so used to an instant culture where everything is always at our fingertips, but Jesus is calling us to be patient. And here's what I want to remind myself this morning, and I want to remind you as well. We can be patient because God's timing is always right. The clock in heaven is never wrong. I'm not sure about daylight saving time there, but I know the clock is never wrong in heaven. His timing is always perfect. In the Lord of the Rings, there's this amazing scene between Gandalf the wizard and Frodo the hobbit, and Gandalf arrives to the Shire to visit Frodo. And he's late. And Frodo says to Gandalf, Gandalf, you're late. And Gandalf smiles at him and says, Frodo, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. <laughs> Hear me this morning. God is never late, nor is he early. He always shows up precisely when he means to. And if God's timing is perfect, we must learn to be a people who are patient, even in an instant culture. We're to put on patience. Then number six, we're to put on forgiveness. We're to put on forgiveness. Look at verse 13. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Forgiveness isn't easy, but it's required. Here's how one writer, Frederick Beekner, sums this up. I think this is beautiful, so I wanted to share it with you. To forgive somebody is to say one way or another, you have done something unspeakable, and by all rights, I should call it quits between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although I make no guarantees that I will be able to forget what you've done, and though we may both carry the scars for life, I refuse to let it stand between us. I still want you for my friend. Forgiveness is often hard. But we are called to forgive. Why? Because Jesus Christ has forgiven us. Our sins, what did we sing? They may be many, but his mercies are more. So I think about that, that song, and I think about, could you imagine 
if you could somehow get into the throne room of heaven and you said, God, can I see the list of sins that I've ever committed in my life? That'd be a tough one, wouldn't it? But what? On the other side, he says, hey, but let me show you another list. Because these mercies outweigh that so much more. And if we've been forgiven this list, how can we not then extend that forgiveness to others? And so Paul is saying you've got to put on forgiveness. And lastly, we're to put on love. Number seven, put on love. Above all, verse 14, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Paul is saying, listen, all of these are girded up by love. It's as if love is the belt that holds all your spiritual clothes together. You know, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love God and love others. Love is a key component to putting on the characteristics of Christ. So the next time someone might ask you, does God care what Christians wear? You can say, well, not so much physically. I mean, he, does, he wants us to dress modestly, not to cause people to stumble. But God's not so much concerned about how we are to dress physically, but God is very concerned with how we are dressing spiritually. And the Colossians church was struggling with this. Their lives didn't match up with who God had called them to be. So he tells them, if you're going to dress for spiritual success, you've got to put off your old clothes, you've got to remember who you are, and put on your new spiritual clothes. So this morning, I want to challenge you with something. I want you to imagine you're getting ready in the morning. For some of you, that takes two hours. For others, probably about two minutes. Two hours or two minutes, however long it takes you to get ready. I want to encourage you not to forget the most important thing you're supposed to put on every morning. And that is the character of Christ. So as you're getting ready tomorrow, I want you to remind yourself. Today, as I go about my day, I do not just represent me. I represent Christ, and I am to put on his clothes today. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you that tomorrow morning as you get ready, I want you to remind yourself, today I must put on compassion. Today I must put on kindness. Today I must put on humility. I must put on gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. Now as we were looking at these this morning, are there any of those that the Holy Spirit has just prodded you and poked at you and said, this is one you need to work on? Maybe it's two, maybe it's three. But if there's one that the Holy Spirit is leading you to work on, I want to encourage you, commit to working on that even this week. But the truth is, all fashions go out of style. Bell bottoms, poodle skirts, leisure suits, jinkos, and even those Tabasco ties. But wearing the character of Christ... That will last in every generation. And if you will put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love, 
I want you to know if you will wear those things every day, then the world will know what team you belong to. That you are Christ because you're wearing his clothes. And in a world where people feel like they don't belong, I want people to see how the character of Christ is so visibly displayed by the people of Christ. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. As you get ready, don't forget your most important clothes this week. And those are the clothes of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful text and challenge. It's easy for us to read this as merely a list of do's and don'ts. But it is a challenge to each and every one of us to put on the character of Christ that the world might see him through us. So Father, I pray that you will help us with that. Father, I also pray that if there is someone in this room who does not know Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that they will repent of their sin and trust in him this morning. Father, I pray if there's someone who has not chosen to take their next step in baptism, that they will choose to do so. If someone's looking for a church home, I pray that we'll be able to connect with them and help them find a place to belong here at First Baptist. But God, as we reflect this morning upon these, this challenge, Father, we pray for conviction to come in our lives, to show us the areas we need to work on. to show us where we need to put off some of those sins that we've been struggling with. We pray for a deep sense of knowing who we are in Christ. And that we'll be active and that, we will, that we'll be intentional about pursuing godliness by putting on the character of Christ. So, Father, I pray right now that each and every one of us who are believers will commit to putting on the clothes of Christ this week that the world might see him through us. Father, what a savior we have in Jesus. Help us understand what it means to follow him by dressing like him. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together this morning.